0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Um, Well, I am Riz. And uh, my wife, Zoe, is um, up here uh, leading worship. She's amazing. That's her. If you haven't met us, we'd love to meet you and come up and and meet you. But um, as Christian said, we're two months old, and we're a part of the reality family of churches, and uh, started in a little town south of Santa Barbara, California, called Carpinteria, California, um, area where I grew up, and um, started uh, being a part of that right out of high school and was on staff there for about 10 years, and God just... Did incredibly, abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine, and He just started us uh, planting churches, and now there's a reality in San Francisco, and LA, and London, and Boston. And God called us over the last five years or so to start a uh, reality here in Honolulu, and so, uh, and He chose us to do so, and so we are blessed and excited for the season that God has us in. Um, but that's the short version of the story. We're just excited and uh, for what God has, and know that He has us here. And uh, we don't know much more than that, but we have his word and we have his spirit, amen? And so that is plenty. So we are in the book of Mark, if you haven't been with us. Today we're going to be finishing chapter 2 and actually dipping into chapter 3, so we're jumping right along. Um, We're in Mark chapter 2, verses 23... through chapter 3 verse 6 so the last half of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 if you don't have a bible maybe you can share with someone next to you or if you uh, get in the rhythm of that there is bibles as you walk in either door that you can just grab and use for the Sunday Uh, I'm teaching out of the new living translation it may be different than what you have but we've got it up on the powerpoint screen in case um, you need it but why don't you join with me as we read God's word, Matthew? Or excuse me, Mark 2.23. <clears throat> Picks up and it says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read the scriptures, what David did when him and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days of Abathar, the high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the, the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or it is a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And he said to them, and he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. This is the word of Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that this is the day that you have made. And we rejoice, and we're glad in it. And God, we come because we want to hear from you. We don't, we don't come to get a show or, to, uh, or anything like that. We want to receive what the Word of God by the Spirit of God says to us, what it means and how it applies to our lives. And we pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are, that are able to receive it, that you would remove all barriers, all walls, all distractions, all the things that would want to hinder us from hearing from you today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would cover this time, you'd anoint it, you'd fill this place with your presence, and that you'd give us understanding into this story that we're in today, in the book of Mark, that you would, in many ways, that you would, by your grace and by your love, that you would confront possibly our legalism, our religious spirits, our religiosity that we may have towards our faith. We want to open ourselves up to your leading and to your word and say, God, have your way with us. We ask that your spirit would lovingly convict us where we may be in the wrong. We want to grow. We want to become more like you. We want to be strengthened as people. We want to walk with you all the days of our life. And so we ask, God, that you would help us. You would equip us by your word today to do so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us in the book of Mark, at least for the last few weeks, we're in the middle of some controversial interactions with Jesus and these guys, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are these really strict religious leaders of the day. Uh, they, they added quite a bit to, uh, to their faith, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of very specific things that you needed to follow in order to be in good standing with God, in order to be holy and righteous. And so there's actually five of these in, in a row. We've seen three of them, and today we see number four and five. So the first one was, if you remember, when uh, these guys brought this paralyzed man through a roof into the room where Jesus was, and Jesus forgave this man's sin. And it really made an uproar with these Pharisees. They, they, were, they were declaring and claiming that that was blasphemy, what Jesus was doing, because God was the one that could only forgive sins. So that was the, the first kind of situation that we studied and looked into. Secondly was... Um, when Jesus called Matthew to be his disciple, and then he went to Matthew's house, and he, and he dined with, with sinners. He dined with the ungodly heathens of the day, uh, the tax collectors, the Roman tax collectors that everybody hated. And so the Pharisees questioned Jesus, like, how could you eat with these sinners? That was the second controversial interaction. Uh, last week... They brought up the idea. They, they they questioned Jesus for why he was not fasting. We fast. John John the Baptist disciples fast. Jesus, why aren't you fasting? And uh, Jesus gave some illustrations to kind of point them to uh, greater understanding of who he was as the Messiah, as the Son of God. But there's been all these interactions going on, and so today we see. Uh, well, today was the subject of the Sabbath, and we're kind of putting two little stories or little interactions together, and so this is number four and number five, and um, many of you guys, I'm sure, love Tim Keller. I do. He's, he's uh, awesome, and uh, this is what he says to kind of give us some framework of where we've been and where we're going. Uh, he, he gives some commentary on this. He says, Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins, right? We saw that, and the religious leaders called that blasphemy. But Jesus goes on to make a claim so outrageous that the leaders don't have a word for it. Jesus declares not that he came to reform religion, but he's here to end religion and to replace it with himself. And so what we'll see today is a very bold claim and very bold statements made by Jesus to the Pharisees in response to their religion, or their religious attitude, or their traditions that they've placed on man um, ab- above and beyond Scripture, and so we pick up here um, when Jesus and his disciples are wa- excuse me are walking along the grain fields. Right, so he's kind of left Capernaum now where where we've kind of seen him heal people and cast out demons. He's left and he's walking along the grain fields and the disciples get hungry, right? They're on a journey. They're going to another city. Jesus is preaching all throughout the region of Galilee and they get hungry and so there's, you know, people are growing grain just alongside the road and they begin to pick that grain to eat it. I mean, it's really simple. They were hungry, there was grain and uh, they started eating it. And so these Pharisees, Right, these religious leaders that have been questioning pretty much every move that Jesus has made so far um, are looking through this lens of being critical. And they see the disciples doing this, and they see it in a very different way than just being hungry and eating food. It's much more complicated to them because it's the Sabbath day. And that's the the crucial importance of why they were angry. It was the day of the week in which this was happening. See, they they didn't see that it was just mere eating. They saw what they were doing as work. And so Sabbath, you can't work. That That was the requirement of the Sabbath. There was no work to be done. But Just the disciples picking little heads of grain just for themselves, they said, no, you're reaping grain. You're reaping a harvest. You're actually harvesting the grain. And so they were going a little overboard or dramatic in their interpretation of what's happening, and they were calling them out for it. They were saying, you are breaking the Sabbath by picking the heads of grain, right? We would think that's a little silly, but in their mind... These disciples of this rabbi, Jesus, were breaking the Sabbath. I mean, this was a big deal that they would do this. And before Jesus responds to them, it's important to understand a little bit more the context of the Sabbath and why the Pharisees would ask that question. So the Sabbath, by definition, means like a deep rest or a deep peace. Its synonym would be uh, the word shalom. Shalom being that state of wholeness or flourishing in every dimension. And the law of God directed that you kept the Sabbath. This is like a biblical law that we, you kept the Sabbath and you did rest from your work that day. So one day throughout your work, you did not work, and you rested, and you got replenished and filled, and you 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 recognize God and you you worship God and you did not work on that day. It it was the Sabbath day. And this was a great and wonderful thing that 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 God gave to man, that he set up in, in in the garden, right? The Genesis chapter one, when God creates the whole earth, he does it in six days, and on the seventh, what does he do? He rests. He rests on the seventh day. He looks at his work and he says, this is, you know, this is good. This is very good. And so God establishes this. After man was created, he establishes this Sabbath day. And it was a great thing. It was a day meant to reflect and ponder and be filled up by the God of the universe to stop from work, stop from fret, stop from paying bills, and stop from um, toiling in the fields, and stop from doing anything but being filled and and having your needs met by God. And it was a great thing. But these religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they went above and beyond. They said, in order to not work, in order for us to be the police, the religious police, and make sure you don't work, we're gonna come up with literally 39 different laws additional to scripture that gives you guidelines of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath day, right? Already you're like, this is not gonna be good. This is not gonna be good when you yourself as man are adding to the word of God, adding to scripture with your own interpretations, and you're giving man this restrictive ability to not do 39 different things. I mean, it ranged from how far you walked that day to what arms you carried things with. Like, this is, this is the kind of additional things that the Pharisees added. It's, you can't, you know, you can't uh, carry with your right or left arm. If you're going to carry anything that day, it needs to be on your back. It can't be on the front of you. So on and so forth. One of those 39 additional rules or guidelines that they placed on man on the Sabbath day was including reaping grain, right? The process of picking grain and reaping it so you can eat it. And so that's why in our story today, when they see the disciples just picking grain, they're like, dude, you're breaking the Sabbath. Really, they're not necessarily breaking the Sabbath. They're breaking your rule you added to the Sabbath, and that's the point of the story today. And so what Jesus does, he responds to their question, right? Their their question was, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Verse 25, Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did? And he uses this example of David and his companions eating the temple bread, the bread in the temple that was strictly reserved for the priests at the time, and that's out of 1 Samuel 21. But he gives this kind of quick example like David did the same thing. He was hungry, and his companions were hungry, and he went into the temple and he ate the temple bread, and that was fine. He broke law then, but that was fine. And he goes on, and he begins to explain the Sabbath even more. Verse 27, he said to them, you know, David did that. It was okay for them. And then verse 27, he says, he he gives them the purpose, right? Some of your translations would say the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I actually really love how the New Living Translation puts it because it helps us further understand the meaning, it says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. See, there's a, there's a big difference there. Like there's a big difference there. It, it wasn't that God set up the Sabbath day and then he's like, okay, I have this day now to rest. I got to go now create a creature to enjoy the Sabbath. No, remember, remember, Genesis? remember the Genesis? Remember the story? Man was created before the Sabbath day. And Jesus is reminding of this. God gave us the Sabbath so that man could rest, not so that man could just obey all the rules of the Sabbath. See how different that is. It's a whole paradigm shift, and he was reminding them again why the Sabbath was created, what the purpose of the Sabbath was. He goes back to the book of Genesis to do this, that God made the whole world and everything in it. He rested on the seventh day, and that the Sabbath was created for man, not the Sabbath, not, the, uh, not man for the Sabbath, because again, the Sabbath was supposed to be a day to stop. And be replenished and get deep rest. I mean to to be restored, to have God meet us and heal us, fill us from our work. And I mean I think I think in 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 some ways, for those of us that haven't ever celebrated the Sabbath, we haven't ever taken time out of our weeks to be filled up by God, you can naturally, you naturally start saying, man, I need a vacation. I need a break. I need a day off because we weren't meant to just keep working, keep working, keep working. We weren't meant to do that. We were meant by design that that God saw us. He created us. and He says, you need a day to rest and to be with me. And meeting human needs, like for instance, them being hungry and them picking grain, or as we'll see in our text this morning, like Jesus healing this man's hand. I mean, meeting human needs is exactly the point of the Sabbath, right? These Pharisees were pointing out, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And Jesus is like, this is the point. On the Sabbath, human needs are to be met by God. David's and his disciple, David and the disciples, what they did falls right in line with God's intention of why he asks us to observe the Sabbath. They were missing the point. Like, once again, right, when he, I mean, right, they're in the house, like, uh, you know, at the beginning of Mark chapter 2, and this man gets lowered into the room, and Jesus forgives his sin. Like, shouldn't that be a good thing? Jesus makes this paralyzed man walk again. Shouldn't that be a good thing, right? Every time there's this wonderful, amazing thing that God does, the Pharisees just pick it apart. Why are you eating with sinners, Jesus? Why are you healing uh, healing the sick? Why are you forgiving sin? Now it's why are you eating when you're hungry? Why are you healing this man? It's like, are you serious? Like you're really questioning that. And that's that's this that's what's happening right now. So the Pharisees, their, their ritual requirements, like their religion, like their, their religiosity, their legalism was, was actually trumping human need. Or in other words, like their religion was overcoming their relationship with God. And he goes even further to tell them what the Sabbath was really about. Like look at verse 27 of our text. Then Jesus said, you know, we just read that. Sabbath was made to meet the the needs of people and not not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Verse 28, it says, so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So Jesus doesn't say, like, he doesn't do away with the Sabbath. He doesn't say the Sabbath is um, not important. He actually affirms it. He celebrates it. Um, He says it's good and right that, that man celebrates the Sabbath. And he, and he affirms the, the need for rest. But he doesn't, and he doesn't disagree that people shouldn't participate in the Sabbath. But what he's doing is he's squashing legalism. He's dismantling this whole religious paradigm. And he's pointing back to his identity as Lord of the Sabbath. When he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus means that he is the Sabbath like he is the point. He is the thing that you're supposed to get or want to get on the sabbath. See, he we know this. Maybe we we maybe we don't. But Jesus is the source of like the deep rest that we as humans need. And it's much deeper than like I need a vacation and I need to like spend some time on like we are designed to be with God and commune with God and to know God on a really deep level. And when we fail to do so, we'll feel that. We'll feel this deep like, like soul unrest that we need to connect with our creator. Because we know how that is. Like, We think, oh, if I just only have a weekend off not doing any things, I'll be good. It's like a Band-Aid, you know, <laughs> or, or we go on like a vacation and the vacation just ends up not being a vacation. We come back even tireder, you know, more tired than when we left. The Sabbath is meant to encounter and know God. See, this one day a week rest is, is supposed to be like a taste of like that deep divine rest that we need and Jesus is the source of that rest and, and we need that. God knew that we needed that, so he established the Sabbath, right? He established us first, and he knew we needed that. And so he gave us the Sabbath, not as a restrictive day where we can't do anything, but actually a gift to us. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, I always joke, you know, you, when kids are young, you kind of have to force them to take a nap. And they think a nap is a bad thing. It's, like, this restrictive, right? But then it's so funny. As time goes on, like, I so badly wish someone forced me to take a nap, right? Don't you wish, like, you can't do anything, you need to stop, you need to leave that early, you can't do anything, and you have to take a nap? Like, that would be the, the greatest gift, right? If you, could just, if you could say that, like, add it to your whole life, like, force me to take a nap, I have to, I have to stop everything. Because, you know, when your kids are young, it kind of does. Like, the nap trumps a lot of things. Like, oh, got to take a nap. Nap time. Can't do that. Can't do this. Naps... But for the kids, like, they hate it, right? They don't want to. They, want, they don't want to do it. It's like a whole paradigm shift, and it's exactly the same way here. These Pharisees were thinking of the Sabbath as, as a burden, as a yoke, as, a, as 39 different ways in which you can't do anything. And if you do anything, you're going to break the law. And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. I'm the point of the Sabbath. Come unto me so I can refresh you and enjoy this day. Be refreshed. It's a gift that I'm giving to you. Just like a nap nap would be a great gift right now. But the Sabbath is, is for us, you know. We, we should observe the Sabbath. You know, traditionally, it was from like Friday sunset to Saturday Saturday night sunset. So a 24-hour period where you would celebrate the Sabbath. You would work um, Sunday through Friday night, and then Friday night through Saturday night. That would be the time where you just stop any work, and you're with Jesus, and you're, and, you're, and you're not like doing all the stuff that burdens you down. You're being refreshed and renewed. And it isn't by any means that the Sabbath is done with. And we should still celebrate the Sabbath but we, it may look differently for us, right? We may not be able to set aside a whole day for Jesus to replenish us and give us rest. For many of us, we probably don't actually um, observe any Sabbath. It's not a good thing. Um, but God made the Sabbath for us because we need it. Now if you can't celebrate a whole day, like especially like when you do have kids, you're like, what are you talking about Sabbath? I can hardly like I can't, I can't even sleep at night. How am I going to, like, rest during the day, right, if you have young kids? You guys know what I mean. You can share my pain. I love my kids, but it's tiring. Um, but it's being conscious of your week and not being haphazard with it, but allowing your to, to get stuff done so that you can have dedicated time to be with the Lord. That's the point. And so don't be legalistic about it because then you'd be like a Pharisee. Well, I have to have 24 hours a day. It's like maybe that isn't realistic for you. And there's grace in that. That's the whole point. The whole point is we need Jesus. So set aside time and be with him more than just like a podcast on your way to work. Not a bad thing. Do that also. But be mindful of your life and your schedule and the effects that the... That life has on you and know that you were made to take time during the week to rest and be replenished by Jesus. I'll, say, I'll put that there. Remember its purpose. So he has this whole conversation with them and he reminds them the purpose of the Sabbath. And then as we jump into chapter 3, Mark 3 verses 1 through 6, the story continues here and it connects because it's all on the Sabbath day. So the story continues, and Jesus now enters into the synagogue. The synagogue is the Jewish place of worship. This is where you would go gather, and the scriptures would be read, and this is where um, you would celebrate religious observances. It would either be a synagogue, or you'd go to Jerusalem to the temple for big festivals. But what happens is, is that Jesus encounters a man with a withered man. Remember, crowds are following him. You know, every, kind, every person with every kind of sickness and disease is coming to Jesus, and Jesus is healing everyone. And so I'm sure this man is following Jesus, or he's heard about Jesus. He comes into the synagogue. And I love this because it says that, um, it says, where is it? I don't know what it says. Let me see. I'm just trying to find it in the text, no problem. So let's read it together. Jesus went into the synagogue, and and this is it, verse 1. And Jesus noticed a man with a deformed hand. And so what's cool is that Jesus noticed this man's deformed. Out of the whole crowd, he notices this man. And these Pharisees are wondering what Jesus is going to do. Verse 2, it says, since it was Sabbath... Jesus' enemies watched him closely because context sake, work was also healing anyone. So if Jesus was going to heal this man right now, he would also break the Sabbath. And what's interesting is these Pharisees, even though they were critics of Jesus, they knew that Jesus could heal this man. They had been walking and they had been seeing miraculous things. They still weren't believing in the same way. Right? They were being really critical of Jesus' actions rather than trusting in him. But they knew Jesus could heal this man. They had seen him do so much more, right? Just a withered hand. They had seen someone that was paralyzed walk for the first time. I mean, right? Jesus can heal this guy's man, but they watch him closely. And I can only imagine what they were thinking. They're like, nope, I nope he better not do this. He better not heal him right now. He can't. It's the Sabbath. What is he doing? Right, because it's like this moment in the synagogue where there's a man with a withered hand. Jesus notices him. They're starting to walk to each other. And then what happens is, verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Jesus, knowing the Pharisees' hearts, know what they're thinking. We learned that several verses ago, that Jesus can read minds. He can do that. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And so he knows what verse 2 says, that if, he, if, the, if Jesus healed this man, they were planning to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus knows what the Pharisees are thinking. He sees this man with a withered hand, and he says, come here in front of everyone. I mean, this is like a showdown. Jesus is calling him to, like, the center of attention on stage in the synagogue before the critics, and he turned to the critics in verse 4. He turned to these Pharisees. And he asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. So Jesus brings this man in front of everyone. <clears throat> and it says, and, and and they were wondering what he was going to do. He asked them these questions. In verse 5 it says he looked around them at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. The reason why Jesus became angry with them with these religious leaders is because the Sabbath was about restoring the diminished. It was about replenishing the drain, repairing the broken. This is what the Sabbath was about. And he was broken over their hardness of hearts towards this situation. And this is one of the few times we see Jesus as described as having anger. I mean, this is a big deal. And he's confronting their religion. He's he's, he's confronting their legalism. Right, because how, how could, if, if, you're to love, if you're trying to love God and you know scripture and you know the heart of God, how could you question that I would heal this man? To heal this man's shriveled hand is to do exactly what the Sabbath is all about. And in their heart of hearts, they were questioning Jesus, they were plotting to kill Jesus because of him doing this. These Pharisees or these critics aren't the only ones that fall into the trap of legalism like this. Like religiosity or legalism leads to being judgmental and being critical to others. And unfortunately, uh, we as Christians in the history of the church have a tendency to do this a lot. And our legalism and our religiosity has really turned a lot of people away from Christianity I mean, it really has. You know, that Bible-thumping Christians, the, the lists of do's and lists of don'ts. You guys have no fun. You guys just put restrictions on my life. I mean, we have done it to ourselves because in the same way, we have taken our own personal convictions or our own interpretations of biblical mandates, and we've made them the most important, and we put that on other people. That's legalism. That's religiosity. And for some of you in here, um, you might have grown up that way and that's why you weren't in church for many years because you just felt like, man, it was too restricted. It was too religious. I feel like I couldn't do anything and I just had to obey these certain sense of instructions and if I didn't, I was in trouble and you just lived in this box, this yoke of religion. Or there, may be, there might be some of you today that are just coming back and you're like sensitive to that. Most of the world is. They do not want to give their lives to Jesus because of how Christians have told them that if you do that, this is how your life is. And on behalf of, um, quote unquote, legalistic, critical Christians, I want to apologize for how they've represented Jesus, like how they've represented Christianity, because that is not, as you see today, what God intended, legalism, religiosity, a critical spirit, like these are the things, unfortunately, that we've led in. We've, we've said, oh, I love Jesus, and I love the word of God, but let me tell you how you should live your life in these areas. Some classics, as you guys may know. Sorry if I push a few buttons here, but it is what it is. Uh, alcohol is a big one. Oh, you can't, you can't drink a drip alcohol, or, you know, it's like, you can do whatever you want. But alcohol's been a huge one. How you dress is huge. I mean, it's a little bit better now, I think, but it's like, oh, man, girls can't wear shorts or pants at all. I mean, let's just, my interpretation of the word is this, and so you cannot do that. A lot of Christians still say the only way in which you're supposed to send your kid to school is homeschool. Don't get me wrong, I don't have, have, I'm not anti-homeschool. My wife was homeschooled her whole life, right? Yeah, she's... (laughs) He 's back there going, yeah, but but sometimes Christians get into the mode is you have to if you're a good Christian, if you want to obey the world, the word excuse me, you have to homeschool your kids. We can do it with simple stuff like movies, you can rate our movies. How could you possibly watch that right that's a for, that, 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 that can be a form of legalism though, what music you listen to I mean and it goes on and it, we can do we can be legalistic or critical or judgmental to really anything, right? How much someone's doing something in their life, how much they aren't doing something. We also can do this, and uh, man, we're really good at this, and this is unfortunate. We're really good at picking apart churches. We're so good at it. We come in with, and I don't really know why, but... being a pastor on staff at a church for a long time, this is a big thing that you hear. You know, it's worship style to teaching style to the length to what you did with the lights to um, what you said, what you did, the style. We're really good at that. We're really good at like when we visit a church, our own personal preferences or what we like or how we grow it up, we look through that lens. And if you're doing anything different than what I'm used to, you're bad, Do you see how that's legalism? Do you see how that's being critical and judgmental? Like, do you even know their heart behind that? Don't get me wrong. There are bad churches. Like, they're they're not teaching the Word of God, that are not biblical. I'm I'm not saying, like, hey, just it shouldn't matter. Like, no, it should. But we are really good at being like the Pharisees. We have been in church history. We have the tendency to be critical and judgmental to other people's lifestyles. And we're really good when it comes to the body of Christ. And sadly, that's why uh, we have so much division in the body of Christ between de- denominational lines or even, uh, you know, secondary issue lines. If you're a Calvinist or not, if you believe in the gifts or not. Like, don't get me wrong, those are important things. But at the end of the day, like, are they not our family? Are they not brothers and sisters in Christ? Aren't we all trying to glorify God? Yes, it may be in a really, really different way, and it may not jive with you. But I think we should, before we judge, before we are critics, before we maybe act like the Pharisees, we should really check our hearts and saying, well, what's the point? What are they trying to do? What, what are they, what are they, what are they trying to do with their lives and their lifestyle? Maybe should I extend some grace and some mercy and some love towards them? Because religiosity or legalism tends to point out potential little faults. We love to do that. Potential little faults It may not even be a thing, but we're worried, and so we like. We look, we're looking at the little things, but legalism fails to remember the main point, or remember the essence or the purpose, or it fails to remember the grace and love and life that comes from Jesus. And that's what the Pharisees did when the disciples were picking grain. They saw the little things. You're breaking the Sabbath. He's like, they're hungry. <laughs> this, you healed the man in the temple. His hand is not withered anymore. You're like, He's healed. He couldn't use his hand. He's healed. Like, get over it. Like, they were totally blinded by their religion. They were blinded by their religiosity. So, what I'm not saying is that we turned a blind eye to sin. Jesus didn't do that. It's not what I'm talking about here. But like the Pharisees, we too can easily get caught up in our own religious traps and fail to see Jesus' purpose in it all. And that's real. I think that, that that's real for all of us, maybe in different ways. That we that we have a tendency. To do that. But that's not the end of the story. So, the end of the story, verse 5 and 6, uh, Mark chapter 3, it says, Then Jesus said to the man, like, Hold out your hand. I mean, right? He's in front of everyone. This man, you know, probably be embarrassed of his withered hand that doesn't work anymore, that's probably shriveled. He says, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and, and like before their eyes, it was restored. And I don't know if any of you have seen, God still does this. God's God of miracles. We believe that. We believe that he can miraculously heal people. I've seen it. I've never seen that. I mean, can you imagine if we brought someone up here and their hand was withered and we prayed and we asked God to heal it, and before you were looking at their hand and their hand that was withered is now healed, what would be your response? What should be your response? Like, glory to God. Like, start the music up. Like, let's praise God. This is an unbelievable thing that just happened. But what are the Pharisees? Verse 6. At once, like immediately, they went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill this man. And it's just, it's just so sad. They just miss the point due to their legalism. And what's the significant part here is that is be, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, went. To the Herodians or went to the supporters of Herod. See, naturally, they're enemies. Like the Pharisees and the Herodians, they they don't get along, but they've found something in common, and that something in common is to get rid of Jesus. It's really gnarly. You know, the Herodians were the supporters of Herod. You know, he was the nastiest of the corrupt kings who ruled Israel, who represented Roman oppression. And in contrast, the Pharisees were the conservatives of the time. Like they were upholding traditional values and strict observance to the law. But seeing this, these religious conservatives went to the occupying power of the time. And even though they were natural enemies and didn't agree on anything, they went and they conspired to kill Jesus because Jesus was just messing things up. Jesus was a threat to political power. He was a threat to the religious system of the time. And this is the first time in Mark's gospel that we see the formation of the plot to kill Jesus. And the thing is, Jesus could have waited a few hours. He could have waited till till Sabbath was over to heal this man. He chose to do it on that day. And what that did is he signed his death warrant. Like he could have waited. He knew what that was going to be if he healed the man on the Sabbath. He knew that they were going to go plot his death. But he did it, and he did it for love. Like he did it to heal and restore and redeem because that's why he came. But here's the irony of this. What did the Pharisees do? They traveled. They probably traveled longer than they should have on the Sabbath. And how much work do you think it it is to plot a murder? A lot. A lot. Like, there was all this work that they were doing right after on the Sabbath. That's the irony of it. They, too, were breaking their own rules in what they were doing. They were working on the Sabbath. They were breaking the Sabbath by what they were doing. But they were blinded by their legalism and their religiosity, and their hearts were hard, and they failed to see Jesus. And unfortunately... We as humans can fall into the same traps where our own religious systems, our own rules, our own moral code, our own do's and don'ts, can get, we can get so caught up with what we need to do or what we don't need to do in our performance and how we need to get God's approval. And we can get so caught up maybe with religion that we fail to get Jesus. That's why I know it's like a cheesy saying, but when Christians respond to like, hey, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. That's like very true. And it comes from texts like this that are compound, uh, combating this religious legalistic spirit because Jesus here reminds us that the gospel, that Christianity is about a relationship with him. And what we can learn from this or what I think we should, we should take home what we should pray about, what we should, how we should apply this to our lives is that number one, We need to keep the main thing the main thing. Like, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember what it's all about. Like, the next time you get caught up on the little things and what other people are doing or what so and so is doing, or like, remember what it's all about. The Pharisees did not, and it ruined them. And unfortunately, Legalism and a critical spirit and and judgmentalism can do the same to Christians. I've seen Christians over time that fail to see the big picture become really judgmental and critical. and, And they're not an encouragement to the body of Christ. They're a detriment because they come in and they just try to tear down and pick apart. But we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Number two, check our hearts and allow God to search us. Right? Who are we to say, no, we're good. We need to ask God, like, God, where am I, like, demonstrating pharisaical behavior? Like, where am I being legalistic or judgmental? Or where have I maybe added to things that I shouldn't? And we really do. We need to ask God, like, to search us. He knows us to search us and to, to really free us from those things. And I get it. I know some of you here, like, grew up in a very legalistic environment and church and way of... of uh, you know, relationship with Jesus. And I, I'm saying that we need to search. We need to ask the God to search our hearts if there's any ill thing in us. And, and lastly, we do need to allow Jesus to be the source of deep rest and replenishment in our lives. And again, it may not be the 24-hour period between Friday night and Saturday night, but we, God made us, and he made the Sabbath, and he made the Sabbath to meet the needs of man and he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and we aren't free of that. We are prone to wander. We're frail. Um, we are easily swayed, Like, and we need Jesus. You and I need to take time out of our week, more than just your little morning devotional, more than the Advent devotional, if you're doing that, more than a podcast, and like really organize your schedule. and, and, and Do this with your spouse, so you guys both can have this, or you know, make it a priority to go and be with Jesus. And that might might look different for for everybody. Some people, it's like, I just need to go surf, and I'm, like, going to pray while I surf, and, like, that's going to be the most restful thing that I can, like, connect with God. Some of it's like, dude, I want to go read my Bible at a coffee shop. Some of you guys, I just need to, like, drive and pray. Some of you just need to take a nap and then pray or, like, listen to some worship music. It's, we're all different. We all get filled up and replenished in a different way. But nonetheless, let's remember to keep the main thing the main thing, to ask God to search our hearts and allow Jesus to give us that rest in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God. God, thank you that Christianity is about you. It's about your love and your grace and your mercy and your compassion. And yes, because of that, we want to obey you. Because of that, we want to become holy. Because of that, we don't want to sin anymore, obviously. But Lord, I pray that we would have our priorities straight, that we'd be reminded of what this is about, that it's about you and your love for us and our obedience to you. We don't want to lose sight of that. and So help us, God. Help us to not add to, unfortunately, what legalism and religiosity has done to Christianity. We ask that we as a church would be a people that show much love and grace and generosity to those around us. That instead of pointing out failures, that we would embrace people with love. Instead of picking apart the little things, that we would remind people of the the main thing. And so God, we, we want to grow, we want to be sanctified, we want to become more like you, but we want to make sure our eyes are on you, and you are the reason that we do it. Not because we just have a whole bunch of rules, because we have to. We want to we have that relationship with you intact first. We thank you for your word this morning, we ask that you'd seal it. And as we continue to worship, Lord, we ask that we would spend this time doing that. We would spend this time worshiping you, but then also receiving from you and maybe praying during this time and asking you if there is anything that we need to repent of, any, any way that we have been judgmental or critical or legalistic in our lives, would you free us from those things? Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, but if you're new, uh, I'll let you know. We have a, a kind of some ways you can respond now. We have, um, maybe unlike other churches that you've been to, we have three or four songs after the sermon. And we really believe that this is like the time where um, much of your communion with the Lord starts. Like you receive the word of God and in, in light of the word of God, uh, now we worship him and we respond. And so um, you can stand up. You can uh, There's freedom in worship. You can sit down. You can come to the carpets up here and just kind of kneel before the Lord and be reverent. Um, we have communion on the other sides of both Christmas trees. It's, um, communion is a way for believers to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that his body was broken and his blood that was spilt for us. And also out, out the back doors there we have uh, men and women that would love to pray for you and just uh, for anything that God may have spoke to you or just anything going on in your life. Um, but take the most of this time.